Amen. Go in your Bible to First Timothy chapter 6. Great to have Brother Jeremiah with us, his wife Shannon. They were with us for a while, and then they were in Fiji for several years, and um, he'll be speaking for us tonight. Looking forward to hearing from him, and always good to see old friends back in town. Well, old friends, hate, hate to be described that way. Uh, friends back in town. Um, today is basically uh, our next to the last week of our um, marriage class. Uh, on September 5th, uh, I will be away. Uh, what I'm thinking about now, uh, because there's a lot of questions that you guys have turned in that I haven't been able to finish, uh, today we'll finish finances, and then uh, you guys have turned in a lot of questions about dealing with family. Uh, we'll probably uh, cover that subject next week. Uh, and you've turned in a lot of questions about forgiveness and things like that. And so even though class quote will be officially no longer marriage 101, uh, I think I may spend uh, two or three more weeks talking about forgiveness and, and those kinds of things that were uh, turned in. Uh, next week uh, on those little uh, sheets that I pass out, uh, instead of turning in questions, I'm just going to ask next week uh, if you think we ought to do a couple more weeks of that sort of stuff in here to answer questions that have been turned in and uh, just uh, get an evaluation of, of the class. You know, anything you think that might uh, make it better or could be done better if uh, Christ tarries, you know, uh, two years from now. I mean, I, I, I will do this uh, again. Um, you know, I just have a burden for um, people's marriages and, uh, and people as parents, which we will do next summer if uh, Christ tarries. Uh, last week, uh, we laid the biblical foundation for our fi- next to last subject, uh, how to handle our money better. Uh, disagreements about handling our money. Uh, it's one of the four major areas that people uh, fight about, disagree about uh, in their marriages. And um, <laughs> there were a lot of questions turned in uh, about this issue. Uh, and because it's one of the two areas where people feel the strongest, uh, people feel strongest first about their children, uh, they feel strongest secondly about their money, and so because we feel strongest about those things, those are the areas where we have some of our biggest disagreements, and sometimes it's issues over not having money, uh, others times it's issues over having money but disagreeing over how to spend it, and then sometimes it's just both. And uh, so I, I want to uh, take some time to talk in more detail about it this week. Uh, in the interest of time, uh, because I have uh, sort of a lot of things to say today, uh, I'm only going to repeat two of the nine things that I repeat every week in here. Uh, number eight, <laughs> the marriage that you have now is the marriage you're supposed to work on. And number nine, the person to whom you're married now is the person to whom you're supposed to be married and uh, uh, as has been our custom, uh, I'm going to begin answering a few questions um, that uh, you've turned in, uh, sometimes this time, sometimes in the past, but they were just good questions, so I keep them. Question number one, how does a wife uh, who wants to tithe handle her husband who manages the money and who does not want to tithe? Um, the first thing you need to do is uh, make your desire clearly known to your husband. I don't think any follower ever really helps their leader by just keeping strong disagreements to themselves. And so you make the issue a matter of prayer. You pick a good time. 
you pick a good tone, and you bring it up. Uh, most husbands uh, will not object minimally if you have income to you tithing on your income if you know you have an income and if your faith is something that you live and is important to you. Uh, and then really because God established husbands as the leader in the house, you need to defer to his judgment. Uh, understand this, he'll answer to God. And I would hate uh, to answer to God for any, what I would describe, the Bible calls it presumptuous sins, you know, where you are willfully defying it. It's not like I'm trying to stay humble, but I got proud. I'm trying to keep my mind pure, but I had a bad thought. That, that, that's not willful defiance. You know, a presumptuous sin is you know what God wants, and you just say, I'm not going to do it. That always brings God's judgment in your life. I'd, I'd hate to be the man who did that. Uh, question two, how can you save money living paycheck to paycheck even after you're tithing? Uh, you can't. <laughs> uh, tithing will not take away bad financial decisions of the past. Tithing will not take away mismanaging the 90% uh, you have left to your discretion. That's just not what it does. Uh, tithing makes you obedient to God, the God you trusted for your salvation. That, that's what tithing is. And so uh, if you're living paycheck to paycheck after tithing, please hear me, you, your income is too low for your lifestyle, or you're mismanaging the 90% that remain. I, I'm going to say that again. It's very, very important. If you're tithing and living paycheck to paycheck, your income is too low for your lifestyle, or you're mismanaging the 90% you have remaining. Uh, what you should do, uh, we've got some books in the bookstore by Dave Ramsey. Uh, he's a, a good author when it comes to uh, financial things. I wouldn't look for him in Bible doctrine or anything like that. Another guy's dead now, Larry Burkett. Uh, they're both great on managing money. Read some of their books and, and get to be someone who handles the money you have uh, well. Uh, by the way, I never recommend anyone stop tithing uh, because that's a way by faith we acknowledge the fact that the health to work, the ability to work, and the opportunity to work, they all come from God. And so... Um, you will just end up disappointed if you think tithing is a magic wand to compensate for lots of bad financial decisions. Uh, question number three, is it better to make extra payments toward principal or refinance your home? Should I pay off debt or save for retirement? Nobody can answer that question without more information. You know, uh, you need to get some good, sound financial advice by some godly person uh, who you're okay to know the details of your finances because that answer varies. It depends on your age. It depends on your income. depends on all kinds of uh, different uh, things. Um, he here's the thing when it comes to money. Uh, just because somebody is a godly person in other areas of their life doesn't mean they handle their money well. You need to always get advice from somebody who's good in that area of life. Listen, there's some great Christians who are not really that good of parents. Don't get parental advice from them. 
Uh, respect them as human beings. Love them as Christian people. Find out what's good about them. Learn from that. But don't get advice from somebody who's not a good parent to their kids. Same thing with their money. Uh, listen, there's people show up here Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. They're great parents and they're terrible with their money. <laughs> get advice from somebody who's good at what you need advice on. Um, question number four, should we tithe if it puts us further in debt with our bills? Uh, I do not have permission to tell anyone to disobey God. I don't have permission to do that. Um, I don't make the rules. God makes them. Uh, all I'm here to do is teach you uh, what God has taught us and then try to love you regardless of whether you follow it or not. Um, what I would say is that you need to get a little more, hum uh, a little more humble. And you need to look at your work ethic. Uh, you might need to take a, a, a temporary job that you don't really want to take and catch up on your debt. Uh, I do know this, and we talked about this last week. It's a Bible principle that if you give sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly and it's never good to rob uh, God of what is his but I'll say this also listen when God judges all of us he's going to look at the big picture he's going to look at every aspect of our life he, he's not going to be like s s we tend to be uh, which is we look at other people in light of our strengths uh, God is going to look at everything and God will be gracious and, and, and merciful uh, but again, I just, I would not, myself, I would not want any area in my life where I knew God said this and I purposely did something else. Um, last week, uh, we laid a foundation for handling our money. Uh, that was really, that was necessary before we could get to, you know, the details of, of, of applying these things as husbands and wife. Remember those four things, those foundational things we learned last week. Number one, everything belongs to God. Number two, we demonstrate our faith and acknowledgement of that by giving the first tenth to God. Remember number three, our heart will follow whatever we decide to treasure. And number four, uh, minimize our debt and guard against bad debt. And we laid that foundation. And so that gets us to where we are this week. You should be in your Bible in 1 Timothy chapter 6 in verse 9. It says, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith, pierced themselves through, pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Uh, I, before we get to the real practical things I want to talk about today, I want to just uh, add uh, a biblical thought uh, about our attitude and thinking. Remember, the battle of the Christian life, it begins in your mind. If your thinking or your beliefs or my thinking or my beliefs are wrong about something, mark it down, our attitude and our behavior will never be right. If our thinking and our beliefs are wrong, our attitude and behavior will never be right. And so notice here that this desire to be rich in verse 9, they that will be rich, notice what happens. It says you fall into temptation and a snare and into many hurtful lusts. Uh, how strong is your desire to be rich? You know, our culture is driven by the desire to be rich. 
Listen, I personally think it's a healthy desire to want to better yourself. That's a good desire. Uh, but I, there's a difference in that and this desire to be rich. In fact, if I was making one constructive observation about Dave Ramsey and all his material, is underlying everything he writes is this desire to be rich. And he veils it in, well, then once you're rich, then you can give like nobody else could give. That's not why people desire to get rich. People aren't desiring to be rich so they can give more, though I do think you can give more. Uh, but if you have this strong desire to be rich, you're going to fall into temptation and snares and foolish lusts. You know, don't lift your hand, but there's probably people in this room, you've fallen for some get-rich-quick scheme. Uh, and never do those work out for anybody but the people who start them. Uh, notice in, in verse 10, this is always misquoted, for the love of money is the root of all evil. Uh, money is not the root of all sin. Okay, Evil is a very special category of sin. Uh, and it's not money that's the root of evil. Uh, the love of money is the root of all evil. And so again, this goes back to what's in our mind and what's in our heart. Do we have this overly strong desire to be rich? Do we love money too much? Listen, I get it. We need money. It's like oxygen. Everybody has to have some. But this love of money and desire to be rich has destroyed lots of people. You say, well, how does God define the word rich? I don't really know. I don't really think it's like most American people would define it. But look what he says in verse 7 leading into this. He says, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. Uh, and I don't know about you, but uh, that's probably a little lower line than, than I might personally draw. Uh, th- th- this much I know. If you and I do not battle our desire for r- riches and our love of money, it is not going to work out well with us. And the sooner in life we realize the impact that money has on our hearts and just how dangerous greed is, the better off we are. And the Bible, quite frankly, is filled with guidance on this issue. I mean, a tenth of the most basic moral commandments from our Creator. Thou shalt not covet. And so we get to our actual lesson today. What should we do with our money after we've given the first tenth to God through the church where He has placed us? Uh, here's number one. The husband should select the most competent and available person to handle the money. The Bible principle is the husband's ahead of the house. Uh, listen, uh, brother, you need to be honest about your own skills and weaknesses. And if your wife is better at you than this, uh, put her in charge of it. And then let her be in charge of it. Listen, I'm not less of a pastor because I've delegated areas of ministry here to people who have time and skills in those areas. Uh, And you are not less of a man and less of a husband if you've been honest and humble enough to just simply recognize, you know what, Uh, my wife is better at this than I am. I'm going to put her in charge. And by the way, if your wife is good at that stuff, you ought to thank God for it. Uh, Now this is somebody you both have to agree on. It has to be somebody who's willing to work with the details. 
please hear me, at least one person in your home needs to be watching the details. <laughs> if no one's watching the details, I guarantee you, your bank who just looks at you as computer number uh, 9065-4327, you, you know, they're not watching the details of your money. Somebody in your house has to be watching them. Uh, some people are not punctual. Other people are not good at details. Some people are not good at math. Some people are not organized. Some people are not interested. Whoever it is in your house that's responsible for your money needs to be organized, punctual, interested, and detail-oriented. You say, neither one of us are like that. Somebody needs to learn. Somebody needs to learn. Uh, most of you all here are, are, are still very young. I will just say this. You will pay for bad financial decisions in your early 20s for decades if you don't handle your money well. This is so important. Listen, if you have a bad credit score, you will pay more for car loans, you will pay more for house loans, you will pay more credit card interest. Uh, th this is one of the most important things for your future. Now, I do recommend both people have some knowledge of what's going on but somebody needs to be in charge. Pick a point person. Let me ask you, who's in charge of the finances in your house? Uh, is the most competent and interested spouse in charge of that? If not, that's where you start. Start there. Here's number two. Combine your finances. The biblical principle is, is that in marriage to become one. Now I do uh, know a couple of couples that I consider to be godly couples who have uh, some separate accounts, but that is rare, it is unusual, and quite frankly, it violates a Bible principle. Separate bank accounts are unwise unless you use them as holding places for something one spouse is going to pay. L listen, they're, they're, this whole attitude of my money, your money, his money, her money, um, very unhealthy for a relationship. Uh, very unhealthy for a relationship. I get that there's a lot of all kinds of strange circumstances where she gets an inheritance or he gets an inheritance. I, 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 I get all that. But this whole principle of everything being ours is very, very important. Uh, if you are in a relationship that's near destruction or one of your friends are in a relationship that's near destruction, make sure you watch everything. I know of more than one case where one of the people involved, uh, they basically ran up all the credit cards, didn't pay the bills and said they were, and left their uh, spouse in financial ruin. If you're in a relationship that is near destruction, and I hope it's not, uh, or you have someone you know that's like that, watch everything. Uh, in the early years of our marriage, Sharon handled all our bills. Uh, I didn't have the interest. I didn't have the time. And in our particular case, quote, back in the day, she paid all our bills. They get paid on time. And then I balanced the checkbook because she's not a detailed person. Uh, and in that way, we both stayed informed. Now, in the electronic age, because she doesn't like to mess around with that stuff, uh, I do all, all, almost all of that stuff electronically. 
and I do everything I can to keep her informed. Uh, she stepped out for whatever reason, though I will say this, and I would say it if she was here, uh, she's really not that interested. Um, you know, I'm always, hey, this is going on, this is going on, this is going on. It's like talking to the wall. Um, by the way, the root of that is because she trusts me. And, and she trusts me because for 37 years, I've been trustworthy. Uh, she knows I'm not going to go out and, and spend money on, on something and, and, and not talk to her. And by the way, you ought to be building that in your own home. This whole attitude of everything being ours instead of yours and mine, uh, it's difficult when you first get married, but it is an important thing to begin to practice and build. You know, and it's difficult because a lot of times, practically speaking, you know, each person has a different financial potential. You know, somebody turned in the question, what do I do if my husband always considers the money our money until we're in argument over spending money? Um, I've had similar questions uh, turned in. Uh, sometimes uh, the wife will decide to stay home with the kids. They will decide to do that, and, which is a, a couple's prerogative. They decide to do that, and then it's always his money. When Sharon decided to stay home with our kids, it was always our paycheck, our money. It was just that she worked in the home to earn her portion of my paycheck. It, this whole attitude is it, so very important to become a foundation and fabric of your relationship being healthy. Um, and so because everything is, quote, ours, neither one of you should make any major purchases without discussing the issue. By the way, if you're in charge of the money, uh, you shouldn't make major purchases without talking to your spouse. You say, what's a major purpose? Purchase depends. If your income is $250,000 a year, it's probably not the same as if your income is $50,000 a year. Define what's major to you. Okay? It might be in, in your household, you don't care if the other person goes and spends 100 bucks. I, I would say don't make that number small, I mean like 10 or $15, and discuss every stinking thing. That's stupid. You know, find some amount that's major to you, and then anything over that, either one of you needs to discuss. By the way, that's a part of treating each other with respect. And if you can't reach an agreement on what's major or a certain purchase, we've already talked in here, you should have somebody established that you go and talk to. I think we should buy a car. He thinks we shouldn't. Okay. Go talk to somebody who's good with But By the way, if you want God's will and you want, make, if you want to make a good choice, you don't mind doing that. If you don't care about God's will and, and you just want to do what you want to do, then you're going to object. Do you want God's will? Do you want to make good decisions? Are you combining your finances? Are you combining your attitude about money? Go back in your Bible to Proverbs 22. And we're going to, at this point, do something I've done several times in this class. And, and some people like this stuff. Some people don't. But I'm going to do it anyway because uh, I think it's helpful. And um, in Proverbs 22, verse 7, well, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, I will. 
Uh, Proverbs 22, 7, we did, read this verse last week, the rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. That, that second half of that proverb, that's a great life principle when it comes to debt. Because when you owe somebody, you become their servant. You are servants to institutions, you can be servants to people, which gets us to our third thing today, minimize your debt. Romans 13, 8 says, Owe no man anything but to love one another. Please hear me, the fewer people and fewer institutions to whom we owe money, the better off we are. Uh, I know, and you should know, that's a major problem in America. I've seen statistics on how debt in the church compares to debt in America, and the things I've read basically say that Christian people uh, have the same problems with debt that non-Christian people have. But I don't trust a lot of that stuff because the people they survey... Uh, l listen, we, we are not uh, Methodists or Presbyterians uh, or Catholics who go when we feel like going. I mean, what I want to know, what, what about people who really try to have their life committed to Christ and who really believe the Bible and try to apply it? I mean, what, how do they handle debt? And I don't know the answer to that. Um, maybe I don't want to know the answer to that. I do know this, and I said this last week, I'm going to say it again, credit card debt is the worst debt you can possibly have. It's almost always at least 15% interest and very often 22, 23%. Uh, if you're paying the minimal payment on your credit card, you are headed for trouble. Um, my wife and I are buying strategy. Uh, we have a, a credit card that pays 2% back and uh, we pay it off every month. I, I couldn't even tell you. It's been years since we had any credit card debt and so because of that, I put everything I can on the credit card because I want the 2% back. I mean, it's hundreds of dollars a year, free money, just for paying off my credit card. And I'd recommend you do the same, same thing. Uh, and we, we get some $1,500 credit uh, card bill or $2,000 credit card bill because we put everything on it, and the minimum payment is $35. And I think to myself every time I see it, there are people doing that. Please, don't do that to yourself and your future. Please. Uh, when it comes to minimizing your debt, be honest to recognize your financial weaknesses. Listen, if you can't control a credit card, get rid of it. Some people, the best way to manage your money is you've got to have cash and envelopes. If that's what you have to do to manage your money well, have cash and envelopes. Uh, some, some people, you need to get rid of your Amazon Prime. Listen, it is a, a great tool and a terrible master. And, and you know good and well that you cannot control your spending on Amazon Prime. By the way, uh, there's going to come a day if Christ tarries and people don't change their ways that we're going to all be sitting here lamenting that there's no stores I can ever go to and look at anything. And so probably we would be a little wiser to support those places as much as we can and only use Amazon Prime really when it's not easy at all to get to some place. But if you can't control that, get rid of it. Uh, minimizing your debt. Be prepared to take the time to get your debt situation under control. Yes, yeah, sometimes you need to bite the bullet. 
you know, you might need to just say, you know what, for, for, for 90 days, we're not going to eat out at all. We are going to have nothing but beans and rice. Do what you need to do. Get out of credit card debt. Listen, when, you go to, when I went to Nicaragua, we had beans and rice for breakfast. We had beans and rice for lunch. We had beans and rice for dinner. Did you, say, did you get sick of beans and rice? Yeah, kind of. But you know what? Credit card debt will hurt you. Listen, there are a lot of Christian people who have cursed finances. Did you hear? They have cursed finances. Because they will not handle their money the way God teaches them to handle their money. If you haven't recognized that the health to work, the opportunity to work, and your raises and promotions and how often things break and don't break and how many things go wrong is in God's hands, you haven't opened your eyes. There are people that have cursed finances. Saved people. What a terrible thing. Uh, here's the fourth thing under minimizing your debt. Recognize your income potential and where you are in life. I, I think this is one of the hardest things to do as a young couple. Most of the time you come out in your early 20s from a home where your parents were in their 50s and uh, quite frankly, by the time you get into your 50s, you'll accumulate some stuff. You've handled your, yourself well. And so you leave that and now you don't have all the stuff you had. And it causes people to make a lot of bad financial decisions instead of just accepting and realizing where you are. Uh, man, when our kids were growing up, we'd take the, uh, used to have boys' night out once a week. Me and the three boys would go out and do something. It was really mom's night off, but we just called it something that sounded better to them. Um, but but we, we would go somewhere. It was almost always free. And we'd get an icy, and the th- four of us would split an icy. I mean, I remember standing there with my fingers on the straw. I mean, when it's your turn, man, they're, they're like, <laughs> that's all you get. It's, listen, it was a good time. It didn't hurt us. We'd go up to Chuck E. Cheese's. It was free, and, and, and I would get $4 worth of tokens. Actually, I think I got $5 worth of tokens because then I got like four free. And we, we would play this X-Men game because it was a four-player game. And, 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 and that's what we did. We're all right. Our, our boys, they're warped, but not because they didn't go to Disney. Recognize where you are. Listen, you... you some of you ladies, you need to give your husband a break. If your husband is working up to his income potential, be happy with it. If he's getting out of bed, if he's going to work, if he's working to his income potential, be happy with it. He's not your dad. He might make more, he might be less. Uh, him working up to his income potential is all you should expect. And some of you can plug your ears, but I, I never wanted our boys to marry girls coming from homes with their dad having a lot of money. And say, why? Because I've seen so many women from those circumstances destroy her husband. Didn't have to be that way. 
Some wives have more income potential than your hus- than her husband. And, and listen, uh, I'm glad if God has given you great skills and great education and great ability, I, I'm happy for you. Listen, I don't begrudge you that. I'm glad for you. But you better be careful how you handle your husband. I mean, understand, all the way from the beginning, men have gotten most of their self-image from their work, and women get most of their self-image from relationships. That's all the way back to the way God created us. I didn't say all, I said most. And so if we were not careful in those areas, we'll hurt our spouse. Proverbs 28, verse 20. Faithful man shall abound with blessings. Here it is. But he that maketh haste to be rich shall not be interested, shall not be innocent. Here's the last thing. Don't fall for get-rich-quick schemes. When you're in a hurry to have stuff, you're not going to remain innocent. If it comes to financial advice, what I would say... Um, my wife and I, we're okay, maybe good, uh, but we're not great. Uh, when people want detailed financial, if they want basic financial advice, I'll talk to them. If they want detailed financial advice, I, I send them to Jeremy Sanders, Joe Clawwitter, or Jessica Whirling. Th- those three people are great with money. And um, by the grace of God, my wife and I, We've taken three huge pay cuts. I'm talking $15,000 plus. Uh, and we've always been able to do that. But it was a, because of a simple thing. We always lived below our means. We've always lived below our means. This world will always tell you to live on the edge of your means. And when you live on the edge of your means, when anything happens... It throws everything into, 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 into terror. And, and what I say to you is live below your means and you'll be much happier. Uh, Proverbs 21, talking about basic practical financial principles. Verse 20, Proverbs 21, 20 says, There is treasure to be desired in oil in the dwelling of the wise. But a foolish man spendeth it up. Here's number four, save something. If you spend everything you make, uh, the Bible describes that as being foolish. Say, how much should I save? You can get opinions all over the map. I'm not here to talk about that other than this fact that the scriptures teach save something. Invest in some kind of retirement. Uh, Don't invest so heavily that you put off serving God and spending time with your family till tomorrow i remember one time i was meeting with a couple they were uh arguing a lot over money uh he was a small business owner and when i met with him one of the things his beef was you you know she she doesn't want to make the sacrifices for our you know business and and all that and and she's like hey he's never home we don't have enough food and all that other stuff he said well i've got a i forget it was i think it was a two-year business plan I said, well, you need a five-year business plan and spend time with your family. Listen, if you try to save and invest so heavily 
that you're not faithful to Christ, that you're not investing in your marital relationship, that you're not giving your children uh, time. Uh, listen, your finances are out of, they're, they're out of balance. P- please hear me. The greatest thing you give your children is not stuff, it's you. The greatest thing you give your spouse is not an extra bedroom, it's you. And our world never sounds that trumpet. It will take as much as you will give it. Here's number five. Agreeing a system for prioritizing how you spend your extra money. (laughs) That means you need to agree in a budget. I, I won't ask you to lift your hand, but I hope everybody in here has a budget. You say, budgets are made to be broken. Well, if you've broken it, then you need to modify it. Listen, I don't know of anybody that builds a budget and then first try right out of the gates, it works. Uh, Building a budget is is a process. Build it on the facts, build it together, and stick with it. Allow money in your budget for each of you to spend without being questioned. Um, My wife and I, it might not sound like much to you guys, but... $60 $60 every two weeks. When, when I get paid, she gets 60 bucks cash. I get 60 bucks cash. Doesn't go for gas. Doesn't go for groceries. And if I want to buy fishing lures, even though I've probably got 100 fishing lures that I've never even put in the water because I love buying fishing tackle, then it doesn't matter. And I won't talk about the ways she spends money that are equally important to me as my fishing lures are to her. But, but, but what's important to both of us is not spending time disagreeing and hurting each other over small amounts of money. Number six, <laughs> never make major financial decisions quickly. We already read this verse, but in Proverbs 28, 20, uh, it's just a great Bible principle. The second half of it, he that maketh haste to be rich shall not be, be uh, innocent. Give yourself time. Listen, if you go to buy something major and the salesman tells you, hey, um, I'm not sure if this will be here tomorrow, whenever a salesman tells me that, the first thing that goes in my mind is, good, I'm not buying this today. Listen, if God wants me to have it, I'll get it tomorrow. There is something in all of us I don't know what you would call it. I'll call it purchase fever. You go through this process of, do I want a car? Do I not want a car? Do I want a car? Do I not want a car? I'm going to get a car. And then now once you've made this, you've crossed this line, I'm going to buy a car. I'm going to buy a house. I'm going to buy whatever the major thing is. Now you're like obsessed to do it. And you've got to really fight that. And listen, that whole group of salespeople, they survive on people making bad major financial purchases. Listen, you will learn this. You're either going to learn it by other people's mistakes, or you will learn it the hard way. Number seven, and lastly, teach your children the value of money and how to properly handle it. (laughs) I don't have any time to talk about this. But I, I, I think your children should have some things they do around the house for free just because they get a roof over their head and they get to eat there. I, I think you should have some things in your children's uh, work list that you pay them for so they learn to handle their money. 
Listen, all over this room, don't lift your hand, but you, you grew up and when, when you became an adult, you had no idea how to handle your money. You had not been taught anything. You had never learned anything the hard way. Listen, you're far better at 13 to learn, wow, if I blew all my money on candy, I can't afford that bike. Please, for the sake of your children, uh, teach them how to handle their money, starting with your own example. And I'm out of time. Uh, you should have a little uh, card in your hand. And if you could, put some question on that or anything. If you don't have a question about today's lesson, just write some sarcastic remark. I, I love to read them. Um, your hair looks...